Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this special memorial convocation to remember and celebrate the life of Professor Jim Miller. We're especially grateful today to have Jim's wife, Linda, here. Uh, we continue to pray for you and your family, and, uh, and we are thankful that uh, you're recovering and pr pray for your steadfast healing and hope. For Robert and Leanne and Lisa, we're glad that you're with us this morning, and Kathy and Betty and Marlon especially, all of you together, we're grateful that you're with us this morning, and we extend to you our prayers and, and support. To all of the rest of you who are gathered here from the community, for colleagues here, for family and former students, staff, and other community members, uh, welcome to this uh, memorial time together. In the past few weeks, the college has received an outpouring of sympathy and prayers and support for the loss that Jim has been to this campus community. We've received them from alumni, from community members, from friends and strangers far and near. And we are profoundly grateful for the care and compassion shown by so many. And I wanted to express that on behalf of all of us this morning as well. We have mourned the tragic loss of Jim in other services on campus and off campus. And while we continue to have questions about his tragic death, and even while we acknowledge that our sorrow is not easily overcome, today we hope to find comfort and healing in celebrating Jim's life and presence while he was with us and with us still. I'd like you to join me initially as we acknowledge and welcome God's presence here with us as well, like a mothering hen wrapping her arms, her, her wings around us in comfort, shall we pray. Lord God, you are eternal life. You alone give us life, life to all of us. We're deeply grateful for the life of Jim Miller for your goodness to him through many seasons, for all that he was and is and will be to those who knew and loved him, and now in your presence, bless him. And for everything in his life that reflected your goodness, thank you. And thank you now for surrounding us and all who mourn Jim's loss with your abiding comfort. In your name, amen. We'll light candles throughout this memorial time together as a testimony that God's presence is with us and with Jim while we remember that light overcomes darkness, love overcomes hate, and life overcomes death. We're grateful that a, a number of communication students, GCTV students, have gathered for us some experiences that we have had on campus thus far remembering Jim's life, and we'll pause to, uh, to watch those right, right now.
Bill speak for us because words are inadequate to express our shock, our sorrow for the loss of our dear friend, our brother, our colleague, our co-worker, Professor Jim Miller. together to cry out to God, inviting God's continued presence in this horrific reality and for all those directly connected. As we light these candles, we do so in remembrance, in recognition, and with the profound belief that, uh, that light uh, overcomes darkness. Jim is one of those people that the longer you know him, the more you like him. I'm reawakened again to the realization that life is extremely precious and that we should be grateful for our loved ones around us. Jim was an ardent, passionate um, basketball player at the noon faculty um, basketball um, competitions that took place in the, I guess, the early 1990s and um, was a scrappy, a fun person to play with. He almost always calls me at the end of the semester and says, well, I've got this student or that student who didn't do so well on the final exam. And I was just wondering what you'd think about if I give them another chance and let them retake the final. I think, I think they could pass. You know, that's kind of against all pedagogy, but I think, I think it says how much he cared and he would, it wouldn't be a two minute conversation. It would be going back and forth. I didn't know if he wanted my permission my encouragement, but I do really think and know that he cared about his students in all that he was teaching them. We'll miss you, Jim. I just wanted to tell a joke that I will always remember him by, uh, what's black and white, black and white, black and white and green? Is three skunks fighting over a pickle. <laughs> and to this day, I don't think skunks like pickles at all. <laughs> On the um, course evaluations, he noted that his uh, evaluations for humor were very low. The numbers were very low, and he was concerned about this. <laughs> and so when I was in the dean's office, he used to come and we'd talk about the evaluations, and, and he noted that the numbers were starting to go up, and he was very pleased about this. There's no way for me to sum up my, my relationship with Jim as brother, and friend, but I thank you for standing with us here in this time of shared pain.
My name is Ryan Sensenegh, and I uh, chair the Department of Biological Sciences, and I too want to welcome you here this morning. The halls of the biology department uh, have felt like hallowed ground over the last several weeks, uh, a sacred space. But equally moving uh, have been the hallowed spaces which have been illuminated in people's lives. Jim had been working tirelessly to bring hope, wholeness, even holiness to his daily interactions with his many students. And that was a hallowed ground 30 years in the making. So suddenly the spaces in each of us that were carved out by the intersection of Jim's life with our life, these spaces were made clear. We are left awed with the ways each soul is woven together with all the souls around it. So today, today is a day for celebrating the impact of one soul, the permanence of that one perspective that was Jim, the one unique history, the one image of God. We celebrate that role that one individual can play when wedded to our community. So this morning we honor the life well-lived of our colleague, our mentor, our research partner, a motivator, a spreadsheet creator, a joke pusher, a gentle, persistent soul whose life was intertwined with so many of us. Dr. James Miller's professional career started at Bluffton College in Ohio, where he graduated in 1975. He later went on to earn a PhD from Ohio State University in 1980, and then came to teach at Goshen College that same fall. Among many things he brought to Goshen, I want to highlight three enduring traits that I think he brought to our campus. Firstly, he brought a love for teaching. During his 31 years at Goshen, Jim taught human anatomy and physiology. He taught human pathophysiology to hundreds of nursing students, some of which you'll hear from later. He also taught vertebrate physiology and developmental vertebrate biology to hundreds of pre-medical students and other biology majors. Today you'll hear voices of his students, current and past. They'll speak to his love for teaching and the lasting influence of one teacher, one teacher and more than 700 dissected pigs. Secondly, Jim brought a deep love for physiological research. And not just the research, but the technologies that support that research. He received a grant from the National Science Foundation to purchase computer interface technologies for our labs. His leadership was instrumental during the science building renovations in 1992. He mentored dozens of Maple Scholars studying membrane transport. You'll hear today from students whose careers began in his lab. Some of those folks may not know that their careers are just starting because of his lab. Lastly, Jim brought a relentless search for truth, whether in research or in academic policy. His focus on integrity gave him a near obsession with fairness. His students are poignantly aware of this uh, due to their knowledge of his elaborate test-taking methodologies. But, but I think he pursued this fairness because he believed all of his students could achieve, should they also choose to believe in themselves. So Jim, as a friend and a colleague, sought to bring out the truth in all of us. Jim had a unique combination of gifts, someone who realized that dissecting tools 
Excel spreadsheets and physiological equipment could be tools to mold lives. As you've heard, he's even used jokes as tactical tools. Jokes with the precision of a scalpel to meet his goals. I copied a section of Jim's notes for his students uh, the week he died, and there, handwritten in the margins next to some biological notes on muscle structure in fish, was the following joke. What fish has perfect pitch? Why, a piano tuna, of course. <laughs> and that's about how the laughter comes after Jim's jokes, too. <laughs> but the point is this, his blend of the technical with the personal was one of the unique contributions that Jim was. And I think in this regard, Jim, you too had perfect pitch. To exemplify Jim's life, we're going to hear stories from Jim's colleagues and students who are currently working with him. This will be followed by a reading of messages from alumni and community members that we've received via email, Facebook, from all over the country. So to begin this time of sharing, I want to introduce you to Dr. Rich Manalis. Dr. Manalis spent 20 years in academia at Indiana Purdue University, Fort Wayne. He retired in 2000 as a professor emeritus of biology, but he and Dr. Miller had been working collaboratively on numerous research and teaching projects for the last 13 years. Dr. Manalis, in the last two, three weeks, has become a close friend of mine as he's been instrumental in continuing to teach the vertebrate physiology lab this semester, for which we are very grateful, Dr. Manalis. It's an honor to be here and to talk about my relationship with uh, Professor James Miller. Uh, Jim and I have been friends for almost 13 years and colleagues in physiology for 13 years. And when I heard about his tragic and untimely death, uh, something inside me said, I gotta tell people about this special relationship that I shared with Jim Miller. And therefore, I'm so happy to be here today to share briefly the essence of that relationship. It began in 1998 when I was a professor at the IPFW Biology and the American Physiological Society asked for volunteers to serve as mentors for uh, professors or uh, faculty at small colleges who wanted to get a research experience. So I volunteered, put my name on the list. And that spring, spring of 1998, I received a phone call from Professor James Miller, whom I had not met yet. and, and uh, he asked me if uh, I would be interested in having, having him work in my lab in Fort Wayne uh, to learn the use of computers to measure uh, red blood cell activity. And so I said, well, sure. So he came down and we met and we hit it off right away, uh, a, lot, a lot in common. And he worked in my lab in Fort Wayne during the summer, oftentimes bringing Goshen College students with him. And, and during that time, uh, it was very clear to both Jim and me that we shared a common interest in physiology, especially in laboratory experiments dealing with living tissue and undergraduate students. Uh, and that was, uh, that was really, really unique and, and special to, to both of us. In addition to that, we were becoming friends as well. Uh, shortly after that summer, uh, Jim and I decided to design a workshop for undergraduate physiology teachers sponsored by the American Physiological Society. We did that, and it took place in Fort Wayne at IPFW, and 
Jim and I worked really hard on that and brought us together even closer in terms of our professionalism. And uh, shortly thereafter, I, I retired from uh, IPFW, and Jim invited me to become a, a visiting professor at Goshen College of Biology. And I accepted, of course, and I've been that for about 10 years or so. And when I first started working with Jim here at Goshen, I helped him revamp his physiology labs. I myself had received a grant from the National Science Foundation in the early 90s to computerize my physiology teaching labs at IPFW, and I shared everything I knew with Jim. And uh, as a result, he, he got a grant himself and computerized his labs. Uh, Jim and I, uh, of course, uh, engaged in research uh, with the Goshen College students who were basically uh, 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 very high caliber students, especially the science students that I have met. Jim was the leader in, in uh, red blood cell membrane transport, and I was a leader in neurobiology uh, research with frogs. Uh, and we involved students, quite a, quite a few students over the years, uh, as Ryan mentioned. Uh, and the students uh, uh, learned a lot from us. They learned about uh, you know, how research can focus your, 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 deep, your depth of understanding of scientific concepts, how to communicate your thoughts to your peers, and also how, how doing science is fun uh, and, and challenging. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Jim and I learned from the students. Uh, they taught us a lot. Uh, and uh, uh, in fact, as, as the years went by, as many of these students went on to medical school and, and some went to graduate school, and one, one just got her PhD recently. Uh, and uh, one thing that, uh, that I wanted to comment on, uh, I said, uh, although Jim and I never discussed it, our relationship directly with each other, I feel in my heart that uh, his view of our relationship was similar, similar to mine, special and unique. Well, you might say, what do you mean by special and unique? You know, that's a hard question to answer, but here is my answer to that. What was so special and unique about our relationship? I think we both shared a, a naivete to science. We, 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 were, we were just interested in, in, uh, in finding uh, the truth as, as much as we could in, in our scientific questions and endeavors. Uh, when we talked to each other, our egos were really unimportant. We were interested in, in, in the truth. And, and we never had any, any interaction, any negative interaction, any nonverbal negative interaction. It was a beautiful, beautiful relationship. It was almost like artists pursuing uh, uh, truth and beauty and perfection. That was how it was with Jim. Especially for me as a visiting professor, uh, my sense of, of uh, academic freedom was just immense, just, just wonderful, just really beautiful. Uh, then, then I just would like to, like to close by saying, uh, uh, lighthearted, yeah, Jim and I were friends. We talked about a lot of things. In the last several years, we would go to uh, uh, Subway for lunch. And in fact, yesterday my wife and I went to Subway and I thought of Jim. <laughs> but in closing, I would like to share with you uh, uh, two photographs. Uh, yes, I've become a, a little bit of an artist in my retirement, and I've created a series of photographs uh, just shortly before uh, Jim died, and I want to share two of them with you. We could have the first uh, image, please, Becky. Oh, it's okay. That image there, I, I, I like that image because it's called joyful yellow, and what that does, it tends to counter the grief and sorrow that we all feel about Jim's death. Uh, it's taken in Fort Wayne. And the next one, please. 
this, uh, this uh, photograph is kind of an ethereal image of a tree canopy taken in the spring, but it's kind of surrealistic. And as you look down that road, uh, the name of the image, and I named this before Jim died, it's called Imagined Destination. And this, this image uh, really kind of uh, symbolizes uh, what Jim and I had talked about. We had many goals in physiology uh, to work for. And uh, as I look at this, I think of, uh, think of those goals that Jim and I discussed. And I will do my best to pursue at least some of them uh, in his memory. Thank you. My name is Kristen Martin. I am a junior biochemistry major, and I researched under Dr. Miller, and he was also my advisor. One of Dr. Miller's most outstanding personality traits was his dedication to bestow knowledge onto his students and researchers. Over the summer, I participated in the Maple Scholars Program, working under Jim with two other students researching red blood cells. Not only did he print out 15 to 20 research articles for a group to read through and discuss at the beginning of the summer, but he also organized them in binders for each of us to keep and add in our own literature findings as we found them. Anyone who did research with Jim knows that he is a knowledge connoisseur, finding, collecting, compiling, organizing, and filing away any information pertinent to his interests and studies. He had this massive database of red blood cell hemolysis data, a library of experimental results dating back from the 90s to the present, which was a vast collection of thousands and thousands of entries organized in one Excel sheet. It contained information on the different reagents used, doses of various drugs, and the numerous animals that the blood had been from, an immense and irreplaceable library from years of compiled data. It's also a good thing to note that his lab was as close as possible, kitty corner, to his office, since he seemed to be a permanent fixture in one place or the other. You could always count on him stopping in to see how things were going. Do you have any data yet? He would always come in and ask excitedly with a smile on his face. He couldn't wait to see the results at the end. He wanted to see them as the experiment progressed and hypothesize about what was happening. Over the summer, one day I was having particular trouble with some blood cells at a specific pH, and even after one hour, things still weren't happening the way they were supposed to. So I got out a microscope to see what was going on when Dr. Miller stopped by for his check-in. He didn't know why this was happening either, and so he got out another microscope and more slides. Postponing his lunch break for about an hour, Dr. Miller sat next to me, puzzling over the slides to try and figure out why things were not working, which in science, this is just what happens. He didn't shoo me away and tell me to figure it out, but he was so curious too and wanted to find out for himself. Through his curiosity, humble wit, vast knowledge on so many topics, Dr. Miller was a great person to have researched with. A discussion where data was analyzed was never short. There were so many things that it could mean, and bouncing around ideas was something that was thought-provoking on how to take 
the research next. A supportive mentor that challenged his researchers to make the experiments their own, wanted them to succeed, and tried to help them master and know as much as they could of the research and beyond, Jim was a brilliant and unique blend of scientific, caring, and humorous. Dr. Miller won't be forgotten, but eventually we will be able to look back without feeling so much the hurt of loss as happiness in remembering the gleeful times with him, honoring the great things he did, and the spectacular man that he was. Hi, my name is Laura Crable, and I'm a senior biology major. Dr. Miller was my anatomy and physiology professor, and after taking that course, I was a tutor and TA for it as well. Most recently, Dr. Miller and I shared many conversations about my pursuit of dental school, and over the past summer, we sent multiple emails back and forth critiquing my personal statement. He continually went the extra mile to help me improve my essay. As I reflect on my interactions with him over the past four years, the theme that stands out the most to me is his unique excitement toward teaching. The first time I experienced this was during May term of my freshman year. There were three or four of us having a TA meeting with Dr. Miller. He was showing us where everything was located in the lab, and we were standing in the closet with all the jars of hearts and brains, etc. As we stood there, I began to feel dizzy. And next thing I knew, I was lying on the floor. <laughs> Dr. Miller was, Dr. Miller was kneeling beside me and checking my pulse. As I came to, he got up and said he knew exactly what I needed, and he quickly left the room. He came back with a bag of candy, and he began to fully explain what had just happened physiologically in my body. <laughs> After all, this is a great opportunity for him to teach me, as well as the other four students, about heart rate, blood pressure, and glucose levels. He told me the cure was simple. I needed to eat three pieces of candy. <laughs> this type of learning experience was not uncommon. With Dr. Miller, there was always an interesting lesson to be learned. My name is Indigo Miller, and I'm a fourth-year student and junior nursing major. My first year at Goshen, I was introduced to Dr. Miller's passion for learning and teaching in the bio-pig dissection lab. And later that year, I was able to join several students like Laura as TA for the anatomy and physiology lab as a new, newly declared nursing major. The experience of working with and learning from Dr. Miller in these labs taught me how passion for a subject makes the focused hard work and detail that is necessary to learn the hard sciences all worthwhile. He would express such excitement with every successfully isolated artery and organ, and discovering a fetal pig with an abnormality resulted in joy and even photographs. As an upper level nursing major, last fall I took the first semester of Dr. Miller's pathophysiology course, which I had hoped to finish with him this spring. As a nursing major who will someday soon have to apply this knowledge as a medical professional, I realized a little more than just memorization uh, would, would be required to form the kind of knowledge that made Dr. Professor, or Dr. Miller such an amazing professor. Despite the tediousness 
of any college course that includes long lectures and complicated diagrams with arrows and big words. Dr. Miller inspired me to see the big picture while appreciating the awesome detail of God's creation. That inspiration is carrying me through into a field where noticing the detail of the big picture will be my job. Hi, my name is Daniel Driver. I'm a senior biochemistry major and music minor and the current president this year of the GC Pre-Medical Club. I had the opportunity to interact with Dr. Miller in many different environments. He was the faculty sponsor of the Pre-Med Club. He was my teacher for vertebrate physiology. He was my employer when I later TA'd his anatomy physiology lab and he was also my class advisor. Dr. Miller was a very passionate man. I think that's become pretty obvious to everyone in the stories we've heard over the last few weeks, but it became especially clear to me as I was working on my medical school applications this summer. I took the MCAT, the dreaded medical school admissions test, in late June and was impatiently waiting for about a month for my scores to be released. One afternoon in July, logging onto my email, I saw a message from Dr. Miller congratulating me on my score. This was news to me as I wasn't aware of my score yet. <laughs> he had used his faculty advisor privileges to access my score on literally the first hour of the first day that he possibly could. <laughs> that was how much he cared about his students and how well they were doing. Later that month, I was finishing up some personal essays to submit to medical schools. I sent him an email casually asking if he would mind giving me some advice, some feedback. Keep in mind this was the middle of July and I didn't really expect to hear back from him for a few days. Uh, but later that afternoon, I got an email from Dr. Miller with incredibly detailed feedback on every paragraph of every essay I had sent him. <laughs> it amazes me that he had such a strong drive to help his students and advisees. He made it known to me from the very beginning of my college career that he was available for advice and help at any time, but I didn't realize until this summer how literal that offer truly was. From a current pre-med student, this summer, while I was on SST in Peru, I received an email from Dr. Miller. It offered an opportunity to work in a unique medical setting. I was surprised to see this email since it was almost a month until school started. However, Dr. Miller was already looking to make sure that the Goshen College pre-medical students had chances to be involved in the medical community through volunteering or job shadowing. I got to know Dr. Miller through being one of the pre-med leaders. He worked tirelessly to give us every advantage we could have in getting into medical school. From a, current, from a former student, as a student of Jim's in the 80s, I remember sometimes he had to bring little Lisa to class when she was sick and couldn't go to school. I remember thinking that he was such a dedicated teacher and father. 
What a gentle soul he had. I remember Jim's basketball abilities. I remember working out in the rec fit in the evenings, and from the elliptical machines on the second floor, you could watch Jim and other faculty members play basketball. I remember thinking that for such a short guy, he could really tear up the court. From a GC alumna, 2006. From a current student, I never got the opportunity to thank you for all that you've done for me. You made me want more for myself. You believed in me more than anybody else, and because of this, you made me believe in myself. I'm grateful to have had you in my life for the past two years. Thank you for everything. From a nursing department faculty member, I will miss our interactions about software, Scantron forms, and your visits to the nursing department to grade tests when the science scanner was on the fritz. Your absence will leave a big hole for the nursing and pre-medical students. I know you're in a better place, but you will be greatly missed. From a local church member, Jim was the quiet type. The last conversation I had with him was after a church service. He struggled with his back and appeared to sit uncomfortably in the pew. As always, Jim was interested in what was going on in my life, kindly listening. Then he modestly talked of his work and his children, proceeding to minimize any physical discomfort he might have been experiencing with his back. Gentle Jim. From a retired faculty member. Jim was a wonderful colleague in the science hall. One memory in particular stands out. When he needed to be away and had our secretary give a test or instructions, he would also give her a joke to read to the class first. She found that amusing. From a Chicago nurse practitioner. I was a nursing major at Goshen College and had gym for A&P and pathophysiology, both courses which terrified me at the time. His classes were always hard, but he always wanted us to succeed. It was his calm manner and ease of explanation that moved these subjects from terrifying to comprehensible. The building blocks learned from his gifted teaching helped me to feel confident first as an ICU nurse, later as a graduate student taking advanced pathophysiology, and ultimately as a nurse practitioner, where I currently work in hematopoietic stem cell transplant medicine at Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago. My comfort in explaining complex inner workings of bodies and systems to my own patients in ways that they can understand directly relates to the building blocks given to me by this man. Jim's work will extend through me to my patients. Thank you, Jim, for your dedication to all of us who were lucky enough to have been your students. From a former student, never was a big fan of your class I took, but will always be a fan of your passion, heart, humor, and overall example. Thank you for making me a better person. From a physician. Whenever I make popcorn, I think of sprinkling some shredded cheese on top and microwaving it for 10 seconds. This is one of life's delights that Jim Miller introduced me to while watching Star Wars in his home. That would have been about 10 years ago. Jim had a huge impact on my life. By following his kind and patient guidance, I managed to work through his challenging pre-medical curriculum to gain acceptance into medical school and have now become a very happy family medicine physician. I may not be where I am today without his help. From a current student, Jim's reverberating enthusiasm will never be forgotten. Every day he came to class excited. He'd al he always had plans for our research 
and he never acknowledged any limitations. I will never forget how we first bonded over talking about Ohio State. I will miss his passion for life, learning, and science. Thanks for that. You will never be forgotten, Jim. As is evident, Jim helped organize our lives, um, both for students and colleagues. In my very first encounter with Jim, he was already organizing my life. Um, a story I've told to a few of you, uh, Jim was the chair of the department when I was hired um, almost five years ago, and I was living in California at the time. Jim called me up and said, Ryan, Dr. Senseneg, we'd like to offer you an interview uh, if you're willing to come to Goshen. I, of course, said, that'd be delightful, thank you, and uh, I hung up. And about a half an hour later, the phone rang again, and Donna, my wife, answered the phone and said, Ryan, it's for you. It's, it's that Miller guy again from Goshen. <laughs> and um, he said, uh, Dr. Sensenig, I'm not sure if you, you know where Goshen is. I'm not sure if you've ever been there, but do you need directions? <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of paused, and I said, well... I think I, can, I think I can figure that out. That's kind of you. I look forward to the interview. And I hung up. And I think it was probably about a half hour later I got the third call. <laughs> and it was also Jim. And Jim said, you're in California where it's warm. We have 12 inches of snow on the ground. Don't forget to bring your boots. <laughs> We're going to miss that organizational skill that he brought to all of our lives. As evident in these comments today, today is not so much about saying goodbye to Jim, rather it's about owning and honoring the parts of Jim that we're going to take forward with us. And in a larger sense, I think Jim's life reminds us that we are not travelers through this world in isolation. We become in part reflections of the many lives that we encounter. Jim's wife, Linda Suderman Miller, uh, knew Jim better than anyone. And she is going to come forward in a second and share a presentation entitled, Things Jim Would Have Said If He Had Known He Was Going to Die Today. Following Linda's talk, uh, we will have a slideshow of Jim's life made by Leanne and Robert, which will be followed by a closing invitation and a blessing. During the slideshow, we'll be playing a recording of a tribute piece for Jim, played by our Goshen College Orchestra at the beginning of their concert on October 22nd. Uh, and of course, several orchestra members were Jim's student. Linda? As a family, we want to express our gratitude for the many ways in which the college community has supported us in this time of our, of our tragedy. And we also appreciate the ways in which uh, you've allowed students to remember and to grieve Jim and to honor him today. And today we're to celebrate Jim's life. And um, 
When I was given the opportunity, they said I could or could not speak. At first of all, I said no, and then I thought, no. You know, there's some things that were always kind of burning in Jim's heart that he would like to talk about. But I'll tell you what, he was chicken, okay? So I may end up on your don't call her again to speak list, but I'm going to say some of the things that I think Jim would like to have said um, because these are some things, some of these are hard things. One of the things that Jim was concerned about was consumption of alcohol. You open up one of his filing cabinets, there's about this much just on alcohol. And he was a data collector, okay? So I'm gonna give you some data on alcohol consumption. Approximately 85,000 people die every year to alcohol-related um, causes. That's taking this, the population of Elkhart and Goshen together and wiping them off the map. That's a significant loss to society. Alcohol plays a role in at least 50% of traffic accidents, about half of all murders, and about 25% of all suicides. So it plays a role there. Excessive drinking costs businesses and industries billions of dollars every year and absenteeism and lost productivity. But it's not the heavy drinkers or alcoholics that cause the most problems. There's new research that shows that it's the light or the light to moderate drinkers who cause the most problems. And more than half of all alcohol-related problems in the workplace are caused by light drinkers and 87% by light to moderate drinkers. And the problem's mostly due to hangovers. It's the next day after. Alcohol costs in the US around, estimate, at $148 billion. Just imagine what could be done if those, those amount of dollars were used for productive things. And about 20% of that, or about $30 billion of that, is due to decreased productivity at work caused by hangover-like symptoms. Excessive and underage drinking virtually affects every college campus and it affects students there, whether they drink or whether they don't. These stats, I'm gonna give you some stats from colleges. This is from 2009, and this is self-reporting. But this is what students between the ages of 18 to 24 report in 2009. 1,825 students die from alcohol-related injuries. Almost 600,000 are unintentionally injured under the influence of alcohol. Nearly 700,000 are assaulted by another student who's been drinking. 97,000 students are victim of alcohol-related sexual assault or date rape. 400,000 students reported having unprotected sex, and more than 100,000 students report having been too intoxicated to know whether they consented to have sex or not. And about 25% report academic problems because of drinking. And I guess maybe in a town like this, where I ride my bike a lot, I think about this. 3.4 million students drive under the influence of alcohol. And I could give you lots and lots more stats. Jim's got files. So, but alcohol has significant costs. And I think the one that was closest to his heart is what it costs families. It contributes to broken homes, dysfunctional families. It brings violence, slapping, hitting, smashing, throwing things. It brings marital conflict, arguments silent treatment, uh, just distance, uh, promiscuity, uh, sometimes infidelity, divorce. And it often results in the loss of a job or financial decisions or just wasting money. And who's a problem drinker? And I was kind of surprised to see what the definition of was. They're defined as drinking three drinks or more on a single occasion for men and two drinks or more for women. Alcohol has brought nothing, and I'll say nothing good, to our society. And at worst, it brings destruction to lives, 
and relationships. At its best, it brings nothing. Some research even suggests that red and purple grape juice may provide some of the same health benefits as alcohol, so you can't even use that as a good excuse to drink. So I want to challenge all of you students, and I think this is what Jim would have done. He would challenge you to adopt his lifestyle, one that we've adopted in our home, and that is a life of abstinence. And when I mean abstinence, that's what I mean, like nothing, zero, no alcohol at all. The risks associated with drinking are too high to even consider social drinking, as some would call it. Alcohol takes life. It doesn't enhance life. Abstinence is the best choice. Now, at this point, Jim would probably tell a joke because I'm moving to a different topic, but I don't have any jokes to tell this morning. So I'm going to talk about a second thing that was really dear to his heart, and that was honesty and integrity. Jim stood firm. Actually, sometimes immovable. immovable. Sometimes you might say a stick in the mud. But if he believed in something with his convictions, he would not move. If he believed strongly, he would not compromise. And sometimes it was costly for him in terms of how other people would respond to him. Sometimes there was a little bit of bullying going on. I know this is a pacifist community. And these incidents were few and far between but always having to be cautious when he expressed what he believed was true was something that he often struggled with, that he would not be respected for what he believed. On the other hand, Jim, if Jim was proven wrong, he would readily admit it. We always have a dictionary in the cupboard right beside our dining room table, and so if there were ever disagreements about what something meant or the source of a word or something like that, we would look it up. So yes, you know, we're nerds, all right? <laughs> Because why? Because we wanted to be sure of the truth. And we look it up on the internet and look it up on Wikipedia to make sure that we had what was right. And so he was concerned about having um, the right information. If he was wrong, he was willing to be corrected. And if he was not wrong, boy, he was not moving. So he was concerned about having correct information, and often lots of it, before making any kind of a decision. So he'd collect data to help make an informed decision. And to ask a scientist um, to make a decision based on one's own personal thinking or whether an idea sounds good or feels good was just not right. He would say it lacks integrity. Always need data. Everything, look at it before you make a decision. Another thing that concerned Jim, and this is not really a big thing, um, but it's something that's changed over the years, and that is the whole issue of cheating. Now, I'm going to guess that probably in this audience, only one or two of you, maybe three of you, have ventured in that realm. I don't know. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But 10 to 15 years ago, you'd ask someone, you'd say, you know what? Look, it's obvious that you've been cheating. Students would say, yeah, you're right, and would confess and get a clear conscience. In this day and age, you approach a student and say, you know, you're cheating. Nope, not me. Nope. Well, look at the evidence. No, no. Never any confession of wrongdoing. And for him, that smacked of lack of integrity. And um, it was something that he was always important of honesty and integrity in every area of his life, whether it was research or interpersonal com communications. It didn't matter what it was, there had to be honesty and integrity. The last area that I want to talk about is kind of another one of those touchy topics. But I want to talk about the covenant that students signed before coming to Goshen College. And I don't have one before me. I kind of wish I'd asked earlier to get one, but I know that I include guidelines about living together in community. And when you sign it, I know that you agree to abstain from premarital sex, illegal drugs and alcohol, and smoking. 
We used to live uh, before the music building was built. There was a large smoking lounge, we called it, in our neighborhood. Um, it's no longer there. Maybe it's moved. I'm not sure. But things have changed in those days. And it's not a secret that Goshen College has a drinking problem. The question is, should Goshen College have a drinking problem? I would say no. It shouldn't have. If students follow through with what they promised, there won't be a drinking problem. When students sign the covenant with no intention of keeping it, then their signature is a lie. A person with integrity keeps their word. You might disagree with the policies that are there, but if you sign that you will follow them, a person with integrity follows through what they have said they will do. Jim often talked, would I want a nurse, as though he had many of those looking after me, who maybe had lied or had cheated here while their time at Goshen College. Would I want someone like that to prepare my tax return? Would I want someone like that in government? My family doctor. When you sign your name on the bottom of a contract, whether it's to buy something or to offer services, whether it's on your tax return, or whether it's the GC Covenant, I want to encourage you to do it with honesty and integrity. The time to decide to, be, to live a life of honesty and integrity is now. It's not when you start out the world. Things won't change once you leave here. You might think the consequences might change, but things won't change. I want to encourage each one of you, make a commitment to honesty and integrity. Stick with it. Maybe have someone hold you accountable for some areas of life in which you struggle. A person of integrity stands strong when they believe what is true and right, and they always keep their word. To close, I think Jim would thank the college for years of great students. Teaching in the biology department for him was something that he loved. He got to teach what he loved, and he got to pass that love on to students. And that was um, something that brought him a lot of joy. Thank you.
My name is Bob Yoder, campus pastor. And before I um, send us off with our final prayer, two quick announcements. One, there are buttons available for you, memory buttons for you um, out and around. Also to invite you, there is a time of food and fellowship in the fellowship hall to my left, just down the hallway. Let us pray together. Gracious God, thank you for the life of Jim Miller and for his significant contributions to Goshen College, for the many students that he directly impacted, and for the many patients who have been served by Jim's students. We remember Jim's work and research among us, and we give thanks. We remember his life as a testimony of your love and passion, and we give thanks. We remember with love and appreciation. Gracious God, continue to walk with our community as we continue to heal from the void that is felt. Continue to walk with Linda, Lisa Rose, Leanne, Robert, and other family members as they live into life without the earthly presence of Jim. And help them to remember with love and joy of the many moments Jim was with them. Gracious God, as we now go from this place this morning, help us to let our light shine in your world, bringing light and warmth and comfort to those we encounter. Amen. Go in peace.